0: Hello, I'm Glim Fussel, and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels, and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. Today's guest is a creative powerhouse with a Belfast background. Arriving in London a fair few years ago, they've performed on stages all around the world, and probably the highlight of their career. They've been my best friend for over a decade. They're currently a contestant on a little show called RuPaul's Drag Race. You might have heard of it. But I want you to see the beautiful human beneath the wig. It is Jumbo's Blonde. Even though you've been by my side with Sink the Pink for years, I'm gonna treat you like any other of my guests, dig deep into your very shallow soul and share your backstory because I wanna find out more about the person behind the drag. I want to take you back to your childhood in Belfast in the 1800s. (laughs) When did you... Back whenever St. Patrick was still alive chasing the snakes out of Ireland. (laughs) When did you first realise that moment, I am a drag queen? Because I'm... You know this already. I'm always so fascinated by the motivation of, you know, little boys turning into drag queens.
1: I honestly... I think it was... um, It's terrible to say now and it's such a 90s thing. But I can't remember whether it was Ricky Lake or Jerry Springer. <laughs> but it was one of those, you're not going to believe it's a man. Do you know what I mean? One of those like terrible things that used to be, that, that in the 90s was acceptable to put on TV. Yeah. Um, Where they were trying to oust people and da-da-da. This one was specifically drag queens. It was just like, mama, I'm a drag queen or something like that. And I remember watching it and being like, how is that person transformed so, they look incredible. And I was like, just look, and I must have been six or seven or something like that. And I just remember being so fascinated and intrigued as to how this transformation happened and just in awe and being like, I want to do that. Because from whenever I can remember, I was always obsessed with like Disney princesses. And the more feminine things and the pop stars and the big divas. Like, my mum always played the big divas. And I think it, it could have been construed as, as me thinking that I was maybe trans or something. But it was more fascination into the transformation of turning into somebody and the flamboyancy as opposed
0: to wanting to be a woman. So the fantasy, you're, you, basically you're finding a gateway for this fantasy to be other than the world that you have in front of you, right? Exactly, because it was more of the extraordinary, the, the the fantasy, as
1: you say. It was more, you know, the fantasy land of, like, the big costumes and the bravado of, of a personality. And how does that inform your drag? I think that it's just my love of everything. I have such a hodgepodge, haberdashery, Pineland, Binland version of, like, loads of different references. So I can't pinpoint anything that represents my drag because I love everything, and every time I do drag, it's different.
0: Yeah, drag queens are magpies, aren't they? They like shiny things, and they steal. Don't <laughs> <laughs> yes! And I've been known to steal a few things in my time, darling. <laughs> so when you take that moment to finally realise you're a drag queen, talk me through that, because... Essentially, you're coming out again, aren't you? Yeah. You've already come out that first time. So, talk me through what that was like coming out as a drag queen, and then also coming out as a hearing and section. I mean, so
1: wah wah wah. Here's a, get your smallest violin out that you've got. <laughs> um, I, I mean, the thing is, before I before I do tell this st- story, you know, I do want to say that like um, everything with my family and everything is fine now, and we speak a lot about the 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 past times which i think is so important and they give me the time to actually explain feelings and and look back about that time because obviously this is going on 17 18 years ago and it's a completely different time you know and in belfast in belfast, in belfast and the as media well. was not the same as the media was now you know the uh, the the homosexual was um was pinpointed in a very different way in the media you know, um, so uh, I came, I I, I always knew I, I was gay, I hands down always knew I was gay, and even though I didn't know at the time when I was a kid what it was, it probably wasn't until I was eight, 10 turning, you know, something like that, oh, do you know what the funny thing is, uh, this, this is a very niche reference, Um, it was actually Big Brother, it was, was it season two, it was season, yeah, it was season two, when was Brian Darling on? Brian Downing was season two. Season two. That is whenever I... Yeah. That's when I knew what was gay was because it was explained to us. So
0: that... Do you know that's so, so wild? Because I remember thinking to myself, God, this is visibility on a mainstream yeah. platform. Yeah. You First know, time, some, really. Some reader, yeah, yeah. sun readers. But also seeing a, a really balanced gay man. The impact of Brian Dowling. Yeah. He was not a victim, wasn't no, he? No, not at all. He, you know, he was he was fun. and Pure he was joy. And he was And he was a leader. Yeah, it's amazing to see that. It was so.
1: It was. It was. It was the first time seeing somebody like visibly that wasn't being made fun of. That was being celebrated for being gay. Um, and Mm. that was the moment that I realised. And I think I was like, oh, this is what it is. And it's kind of okay to like because everyone loved Brian. uh, Rightly so, because he was so fab. Um, no, he's not dead. He is. Um. (laughs) so all through high school I knew that I was gay and I was very very lucky in high school that it wasn't until I was in my fifth year which is your last year of high school before you go into like grammar school or whatever and there was a group of us that had all come out to each other so there was maybe about six of us in our same year that my best friends we all knew that we were gay so my In my last year of high school, I had the best time because I didn't know we that. had each other, so I never really got bullied in school like people would say stuff like everyone called us gay, and everyone you know they would do the put your put your ass against the wall like here's the baddie boys, but I was really lucky in that we had each other we were all lucky that we had each other, so it, nothing really could hurt us and and our, our teachers let us have that little sanctuary of like, I had this massive thing with my PE teacher. And my mum actually was really good in the fact of, basically, our, my PE teacher bullied me heavily and pointed out our gayness towards everybody and made fun of us in front of the entire school all the time. So we got together and we went to the headmaster and said, look, we're being bullied by this teacher instead of us doing PE, which is not benefiting us, we all know we're going to have careers in art. Can we use this, instead of going to PE, can we do art and design? Wow. And the headmaster said yes. So we... That's amazing. It was amazing. And and bold. And uh, really bold. So that was the first, like, dealing with that. And then when I left high school, I went to college and I was going out on the, the gay scene in Belfast, like... On the weekend, getting the bus down and then and then coming coming up home really early. I was at the same time I was working in hairdressers in my hometown. That was my weekend job. And <laughs> There was one time that I was very experimental with my hair. And um, I got extensions in my hair one time. No, you did like not. A... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. It was the time that the mullet was in before the mullet was cool again. It's the regional mullet. It was the regional 20 and Guy mullet. As seen in Brighton still to this day. Yeah. And so in Belfast, what everyone was doing was gluing horsehair weaves at the time because you couldn't get human hair. So the weaves were made out of (laughs) horsehair. This really is the 1800s. (laughs) So I had ordered, um, eBay was really new then. So I'd ordered these extensions off eBay and the girls in the salon that I worked in glued them into my hair. And so my mum picked me up and she was livid. She had questioned me and she asked me if I was gay. And I just, I'd sort of, I'd been done. I was like 16, 17 at the time. And I was like, you know what? I was like, there's, uh, maybe it was 16. And um, I was like, there's no point in lying anymore. Like if the, ex- the extensions
0: you know, gave it away.
1: I think the extensions gave <laughs> it away. I had brown hair, by the way, and the extensions were bleach blonde. <laughs> amazing a dip dive poo yeah lovely Uh, so it didn't go down well at all my mum and dad are from I mean when I say I'm from a field in Northern Ireland I'm literally from a field in Northern Ireland my house is in a field in the middle of nowhere there's a house every three miles and that is the same from my parents upbringing you know it's a farmer's it's a farmer's upbringing they're country rural people you know and And Northern Ireland at the time then, everyone follows the consensus. So at the time, it didn't go down so well. My dad was very quiet about it and we didn't really speak. There was a lot of shouting, a lot of crying, and I'd stayed maybe a couple of weeks. And then it was decided that it probably wouldn't be best if I lived at the house anymore. So I I knew I wanted to work in hairdressing and my cousin lived in Belfast. So I got a job working in Tony and Guy in Belfast. Because my cousin's flatmate was the like manager and receptionist there. And I moved in with them. And my parents helped me with pay the rent and um and it just sort of got me out, like, you know, it was sort of an equal mind. I wanted to work in, and live in Belfast, and it just suited everyone. And so I moved to Belfast, and that is when I met the drag queens of Belfast, because my cousin was best friends with them, and I was like. Oh. Yeah. And so there was a co- there was a competition for prize money and a weekly job at the local the gay bar doing gay bingo, imagine that. And so I was like, I could do with that money. And so I went to TK Maxx, got my finest little prom dress, and oh ter- I think my I think the wig was a joke shop wig. I'm pretty sure it was a Smithy's wig. Straight out of the bag. Uh, well, straight out of the bag. My foundation was Dream Map Moose. I don't even think I wore fake eyelashes. And I'd done a, a performance to Lindsay Lohan, Daughter to Father. And um, I won. And therefore my my drag career sprouted. And back then I was called Paris Hilltown because my hometown is very close to a town called Hilltown. And I was obsessed, Delane. Yeah. Obsessed with Paris Hilton. My hair was bleach blonde at the time and, and I wore A mixed bag variety of fake tans. So everyone called me Paris anyway. So there you go. There's a half an hour story for a
0: five minute answer. I loved it because there was a lot in there that I didn't know. And also a lot of material for me to rib you for years to come. So it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. everything I could have ever wished for and more. Do you find that finding your acceptance in yourself through drag Mm -hmm. and then taking your parents on that journey... Because it is a journey, you know, they, oh. and and your parents, when you come out, essentially, they're kind of coming out too. And so do you feel that the drag is given some resolution to your relationship and you've come out the other end? And surely the TV moment must have been really, a really beautiful moment for them to see you succeed and thrive in what you do.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, the, the turning point happened years ago. You know that it was it was probably about a a, a couple of years where it, things were rocky, but you know we got there in the end, and everything is fine. I'm my parents are my biggest supporters now. And it was actually my dad that I was home the Christmas that I was auditioning for season four, and my dad turned around and said to me, "Would you never get on that RuPaul's Drag Race?" And I turned and I was just like, "I've I've auditioned, and I've auditioned like." twice already dad. <laughs> I'm trying. Give me a break. And yeah. um, it was at that point that I was like, wow. I was like, they're really fully behind me now, you know? And when when I got the initial call, the shortlist call, because the you get a shortlist call and then you get a, a call to say you're you're on. And and the, whenever I got the call to say that I was on, we just I think we cried for about an hour on the phone.
0: Oh I love that. I love it. Uh, oh
1: so, but this is, this is what I mean, like, you know, it takes time, but, you know, we get there in the
0: end. Do you think that from your, your birth family, you then went, and obviously you moved to London, which is when we mm-hmm. met. And yeah. we're so fortunate that we, oh. because a lot, of, a lot of queer kids, a lot of drag queens in particular, especially now with the internet where they just exist in their bedrooms, you know, and become internet yeah. queens. We are so blessed that we found a chosen family. So do you remember that moment, that moment of discovering East London, actually, in particular, wouldn't you say? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I literally, I I mean, whenever I think about it now, I still pray every day and
0: thank my my lucky stars that I met all of you, darlings. And I think that there's a thing with East London that, it was messy, like let's be really honest about that, but but there was no eyes on our mess. We could go and, and discover who we are, who we were, who we wanted to be, yeah, and mm-hmm. and just get completely lost in it and When I think about the times that we've had before all the success, before all of that, it was just this playground to kind of figure out who we. Wanted to be right. Yeah, totally. I mean, the way that I sort of f- think about it, if I was to
1: analogize it, analogize it's a, it, word, it. It's a word? word. It's now. a word now. Put it into an analogy. It's you know, like one of those lorries, like the dump truck, and then it just rises up, and all the shit just slides out of it. So, like that is exactly how I would describe my ten years of East London. <laughs> because-
0: I have to admit, I do miss the messy innocence of drag pre-drag race. Yeah, 100%. I mean, thank
1: God that people now realise that they've got to pay drag queens properly. But I do miss the camaraderie between everyone. You know, years ago, everyone that would always think there's this one golden ticket to, like, who's going to get on TV? Who's going to be that person to get the fame? Who's going to be the next Lily Savage? That was sort of the race between everyone and as drag race was going like there was you know yourself there was always talk of oh drag race is coming drag race is coming drag race is coming and that for years everyone talked about it and now that it's happening it's like this conveyor belt of everyone just being like waiting to to get on it and that's their main goal instead of instead of just enjoying drag and and yeah. and You know, and trying to create something else around it Like everyone's top goal is just to get on Drag Race And hey, it was mine as well, absolutely But I also have other goals It was not my... I wanted to get on, but I, you know We we had other dreams You had a
0: big career before this Let's make that very clear You know, the stuff that we have achieved together um, Mm -hmm, We've we've travelled the world We've performed on huge stages So what are some of those highlights for you? I mean, going around the world
1: with a Spice Girl, like, that is just... When I tell you I was obsessed with Spice Girls, like, I know that I I tell that story all the time. But that pinpoint of my parents bought me every single piece of merch. Thank you, Melanie. Um, (laughs) And uh, (laughs) you're welcome for my money, Denny. And um, I had everything. I was just so obsessed. So I remember, like, as I was a kid... Being like, I'm going to be in the Spice Girls someday. And everyone being like, oh, (laughs) shut up. Like,
0: shut up. Yes, you did it.
1: cut to 17 years, darling, when I'm dancing as Baby Spice around the world with this bloody Spice Girl. Yeah. It's crazy. You know what I mean? That is the true epitome of... I mean, that's a movie right there. Do you know what I mean? That is a... That's a gay movie right there, to be honest. It really is. Dancing on the Pyramid Stage of Glastonbury for Arcade Fire. That was incredible. Like, that is such a moment. First ever drag queens to be on the Pyramid Stage. Let's make that clear. To be on the Pyramid Stage. Like, just such a bloody moment. To be in the Ab Fab film. Like, I mean, you know, Pinpoint... Like, that's such a moment. I have some
0: more stats. Let's just do them. Fuck it. First ever Western performers to be booked for Sao Paulo Pride Brazil. So, Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Well, and we performed to record-breaking 4 million people. Casual.
1: I do remember that. I do remember everyone twerking. And just, Do you know what that was like? Do you remember, you know, like, in one of those, like, zombie films, it was just, like, a gay zombie film where everyone was just, like, climbing on cars and just twerking. Like, there was just cars bouncing everywhere. <laughs> it was
0: wild. Absolutely wild. And that was, you know, the joys of Sink the Pink, I think, is that we were just... It's so weird. I'm saying we were because obviously Sink the Pink is... Dead. Dead. Dead in the crowd. <laughs> the, the hills and the wigs. Have we gerried her? Have we gerried her? We've gerried we her. Listen, isn't? it's a shallow grave. She might be dug up for, for a resurrection yeah. at some point, but it's a somewhat shallow grave. Um, but and, and the corpse is still worn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fabulous. So, you've come from Clubland and I know this all too well. There are such amazing highs in Clubland, (laughs) in every sense. There's also a lot of pitfalls. And how have you managed to keep yourself together? Because we know there's a million nightmare stories. There's people that are sadly no longer with us. And Mm -hmm. Clubland comes with a whole culture of excess, debauchery. And that's fun until it's no longer fun. So how have you managed to... Mm. I guess, ride that wave and not get too caught up in it. I think it's a mixed bag of things. I think
1: it's a, it's a, it's always been a drive of mine to be successful. And I think that comes from when I was a kid and when I thought, oh, this sounds really bad, but when I wasn't going to have support of my parents to pay for things. So I was like, and I also didn't want my parents to pay for things. I wanted to buy things myself. I didn't want the security of resting on somebody else's money. So... I always wanted to be busy and I always wanted to work. So no matter how much I drank or no matter how much, you know, fun I had or whatever, I knew I had to get get up and go to work. And I think the drive to be successful was always what got me got me through everything and, and wanting to be successful and wa- and wanting to be, you know, present in the moments we were doing really exciting things. You know, these were moments that you really wanted to to remember
0: moments as well as have fun. But I think the most important thing for me was just I love to work. If I think about you, actually, if there was an emoji to sum up who you were, it would be a carry case, a suitcase, because you work so much that you always have a carry case. I
1: always had six suitcases like around yeah. me and just... uh Oh, honestly. I mean, people think that styling and drag is glam. It's not. It's packing a suitcase. That's what drag and styling is.
0: It really is. Yeah. And also, I think there's two sides there. I mean, you're creating fantasies, right? Yeah. Styling, there's such a synergy there. Absolutely. Uh, With styling, you're doing it for somebody else. Mm -hmm. Drag, you're doing it for yourself. So you're creating an alter ego, but how do you disconnect from the alter ego because like we said before drag does give you an illusion it yeah. creates all it brings all your reference points but it also is a vehicle sometimes for a bigger more outrageous version of yourself and i think it's important to separate the two how do you how do you not let the drag destroy you i mean i've got great people
1: around me basically that we all turn around and say you I mean you know with you and i we will always say friend day uh, no work talk yeah. No, no talk about drag. And I think it really is about keeping good people around you. I mean the thing is, is it with me is I don't really have a difference if the drag me and and the and the Andrew me. Like it is the same person. I'll, I'll be a bit more heightened when I'm in drag, because I have control and I am a bit more exuberant. But there's no real difference. So my brain my brain never really switches off. I'm always thinking about I'm basically always thinking about drag or clothes or something frivolous. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> oh, crisps. Crisps. I like to think about crisps a lot. What, <laughs> what crisps are you thinking of now? Oh, I love a flame grill McCoy, to be honest. Um, oh, me too. They're amazing, aren't they? The one thing I'm very aware of, and, and I'm, I'm aware of it because when I used to don a wig and... I mean, not that I was exactly... Um, Someone that the, the men would chase when I was in, in drag and inverted commas. But how do Ignore you... Ignore me, darling. <laughs> yeah, but I want to know about that impact of drag in your, in your love life. Mm-hmm. Because there seems to be, you know, we know a lot of people, we know a lot of queens that have steady relationships. But I think that that is a rarity,
1: Because it's very,
0: it's hard, right? It's really hard. So it's really hard. And I know that you're someone that would like that. There, I just outed you. You love, love, you know, you're, you'd be a great partner. So is that something that bothers you? I think I used to let it
1: bother me and I would love very much to be in love. Uh, I think, you know, I, I do well, very well by myself. As in my, you know, keeping myself and I enjoy my single life very much, but it's about sharing, you know, it's, yeah. you know, whenever you see people that are sharing their lives with somebody and experiencing stuff together, and I do have my friends to do that with, but it's different when it's when it's in, in a relationship, but, and I've just unfortunately never found anybody to do that with properly you know I've I've had a relationship in the past albeit very unsuccessful ones <laughs> but I think I think at the time it was uh, for me I, I'm all about timing and uh, the time has just never been right and and I've I've probably looked to uh, for it in the all the wrong places before and this the relationships that I have had have all ended quite quite terribly uh, my first proper boyfriend, when we were going out, um, I would literally wake up in the middle of the night and he'd just be gone. Like we'd go to bed together and I'd wake up in the middle of the night and he'd just be gone. What? With no explanation, and then I wouldn't hear from him for like for like a week and a half, two weeks, and I'd be like, "Are we still going out? Are We not going out?" Thinking about this recently, um, I think it's where my. Tr- I think it's for trust issues. Like that's a lot of, not only just for my parents, you know uh thinking that I'm lying a lot going out and whatnot um when I was a kid not now yeah to that guy literally like waking up and 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 just not being there and not never telling me where where he was or where he was going or what he was doing and I think that probably is where where you know you know me like I'm 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 a a stipular for trust and I I, I okay. find it hard trusting people and I don't put a, my trust in a lot of people. Um, and I think that's probably where it
0: started. Which I think is understandable, listening to that.
1: Yeah, I, I was thinking about this. I think I've actually blocked it out quite a lot because thinking about it, it, it does put in perspective a lot of things of how I am in that world of relationships. And then another partner that I had, which was now about five or six years ago, that person was definitely just there for the guest list and the drinks tickets.
0: Well, and that says a lot about them.
1: <laughs> oh, we all know that there's a good few handful of those darlings out there.
0: <laughs> Look, now you're on telly, there are going to be a lot more of those people coming out the woodwork, asking you for drinks tickets because you are smashing it on Drag Race. You have worked your ass off to get to this point. So what happens when you get that moment that is what you've wanted? How does it feel when you're there? The people that run that show are incredible.
1: Everyone takes such good care of you. You're just, you're in this little bubble world of drag. Like I would wake up every morning at 5 a.m. and I'd be like, ah, what are we doing today? You know what I mean? Like I would get up absolutely buzzing. Just knowing that I'm going on set. Like, I love being on set. I love filming. I love, and I was just like, I'm on my favourite TV show. I'm just going to have the best time. No matter what happens, I've finally made it and just enjoy it. The thing is, we would always say, you know, enjoy yourself. Because if you're not enjoying yourself, we're not enjoying you. And I think that's so true in, in to take into life and everything else, you know.
0: So what's going to come next? Show wraps soon. What's next for Jombus Blonde?
1: I've got ideas. I definitely have ideas. Um, I've done a couple of TV shows. I've had some cameos. I mean, I Hate Susie season two. Um, uh, the Christmas special. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I think I am. You just did. Um, uh, yeah, I just did, sorry. <laughs> no one told me I couldn't say it, so I'm in it. I want to do more films and things. I, I was cast in a film, on a very big film, actually it's not a film, it's a TV show, Um, before I went on Drag Race and I had to turn it down because of Drag Race. And I'm trying to get more, I would love to do more television and presenting. And fashion, like I want to get back into the fashion world. Like I would love to do some some styling on TV, like, um. Well, no, I want to be the Joan Rivers of drag, of oh, like, of, nice. of of doing fashion like bring back fashion, please. That's what I say. Let's rip people to shreds for their terrible fashion <laughs>
0: <laughs> through the media of drag. Obviously, this has been insightful for me, babes, because I've actually, I, you know, you when you're friends with someone for so long. And you think you know everything about them, but there's also a lot that I did not know. I have a lot of ammunition going forward, and long may you reign and take over the world as my favorite witch. Oh, I love
1: you. Thank you so much, Angel.